Sup, Drew. Hey. Welcome to How College Works. So, uh, no guest today. Oh. But well, I thought. Well, you got us. Yes, true. <laughs> Drew, uh, Drew, you sent me uh, something, an a article, I guess, top 10, maybe just a 10. List. I think they call them listicles now. Listicle. Ooh. Oh yeah, I'm old. I don't know that I love that word. Also, because you're old. <laughs> yeah, that's not it. But okay. <laughs> uh, so, ten ways that college classes differ from high school. This is from College Vine. I'm sure if you Google that, you'll <laughs> you'll, you'll find it. I think we have to give the hat tip to, um, I saw it on Alice Keeler's feed. I'm sure she got it from somebody else, or maybe she found it herself. Anyway, thanks so much. Yeah, absolutely, yes. That's at Alice Keeler, K-E-E-L-E-R, all one word. So if you want to By follow the way, her. I suppose, like I saw her this summer in Chicago at ISTE and uh, snapped, a, snapped a picture. It was pretty exciting. Did you do a selfie with her, or did you just were creepy and took a picture of her without yeah. her knowing? No, I, I have a selfie with okay, Alex Keeler, so okay, I met good, my Twitter good. feed. Nice, okay. nice. Uh, so sh shall we dig in? Let's do it. Okay. Number one, lecture hall versus classrooms. Thoughts? <laughs> uh, so I guess that there's more lecture halls in college. I mean, it's, it's not to say there's no classrooms in college. Right, but all of my classes are in classrooms. Mine too. I think so. There are lecture halls, obviously, at large schools for certain subjects, but writing is never going to be in a lecture hall. Yeah, you really can't deal no. with that many people writing-wise. Right. You need a higher contact. Yeah. To me, and this goes back to one of the other items on the list. We'll get to in a minute. Um, where the word lecture is again from that old word lectio, which means to read. And I'm standing at the lectern where I read to you and you listen, uh, right? So a lecture hall is you're just sitting passively in the back listening to the presenter, the professor, or the lecturer. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Uh, so and that is I, I don't know. And, and that's, uh, that seems like a bad plan for a lot of classes in, in, in high school, but uh, sometimes that's the quickest way to get information out. Yeah, yeah. agreed. Lecture is certainly the, the most time efficient. It is not always, uh, not always the most straight up effective. efficient or effective. Right. Um, but they're right when they point out that you're much more likely to run into lecture hall classes in colleges than you are in high schools. I mean, it's a size thing, mm -hmm. but it, you know, so in a large public university, you are much more likely to run into these courses, especially at the in the yeah, first so couple years, first years where yeah. you're taking these broad gen eds, which have to serve a large population because it's a large university. You know, and so you're much more likely to run into these courses where you basically have very little contact with the instructor. Mm -hmm. Like they're up there talking and writing. Uh, there's stuff you can do to kind of try to keep students engaged and make it more active for them as opposed to just sitting there and falling asleep while you drone on and on. Um, but yeah, I mean, they're, they're, it's pretty legit in terms of you're just more likely to get that. I do think, though, um, as our students are changing, a lot of us realize, those of us who are in a classroom setting and have the option to do lecture versus other types of teaching, that we see the limitations of lecture whenever we have the ability to do something different. Now, I realize if you're teaching a class of 400 in a gen psych class. There's not a lot of options. No. Yeah. Well, let's do group work. Um, no. I, so there was this thing uh, early in sort of physics education, uh, there was an uh, 
think pair share yep. is uh, the way it's described. Uh, <laughs> That's this, very common in writing studies. Yeah, it w well, and it was sort of uh, discovered by a Harvard professor named Eric Mazur. Uh, he started bringing it into his large lectures. You know, and so he can't be with every person, but he started using this, like, think about what this is, pair up with the person next to you, describe what you think the answer to this, usually it's like a multiple choice question is how this is often done. You know, why do you think the answer is A or B or whatever you think it is, talk it through with the person next to you, and then Let's share, share out. out, you know, and so that you have, you, you try to get it a little bit more engaged that the students are thinking and... Yeah. Uh, building in the accountability buddy, and the, I mean, the elementary teachers are really fantastic about pick, about how to explicitly um, uh, um, pick partners for you, so you're not mm -hmm. passively like, oh, I guess I don't have a partner, I don't have to engage, and say, you know, window partners and door partners, or you know, um, setting that up explicitly or what's with the, externally for the students, so they don't have to um, hide; they're not able to hide. Yes. I'm sorry, I have to go back. Did you say accountability? Yeah. Oh I was going to say, burying the lead there, Drew. <laughs> accountability. buddy. <laughs> it just rolls right off the tongue. Yeah, I had to really think about it. <laughs> so, right, this is my, um, uh, my engagement where I have, even though we've built this loose relationship of you're sitting next to me in class today, I have to share with you what I've learned, and it makes me explicitly think, what did he just say? Right. And now I'm going to tell you, yeah, right, what the professor just said or whatever. So um, that's why you go. Uh, I just listened on the radio about a, a study that said that married couples who go and sign up for the gym together uh, drop out of the gym membership at 10%, and if they married couples go and sign up for the gym not together, then they have a 50% dropout rate. So it's like yeah. you got a you got a partner to work out with. Yeah, you're gonna, you're going to stay on. It's true. You it's know. true from experience. That's just good for all-around practice and getting things done. Yeah, and accountability buddy. Yeah, yeah. new word. Is that an actual word? I, I'm not saying I made it up, but... <laughs> but I'm out of. <laughs> all right. Cool. All right. Number two, professors versus teachers. Well, we've talked about this a lot. We have. I mean, I, I re almost every other podcast yeah. <laughs> episode of this podcast. You know, that my job is, is strikingly different than, than Drew's job was when he was a teacher, uh, despite the fact that nominally we do the same things. Um, I do like this one sentence I can kind of see from here. It says, professors, on the other hand, are not professional educators. Ooh, ouch. <laughs> they are academics, experts in the subjects they are teaching. Um, so, yeah, you know, I think we, we, like you said, we covered it in a different yeah. um, episode where we said, the word professor is from you know professing you're, you're professing something that's already known so mm -hmm. versus uh, teaching learners as a, as a as a terminology not to critique the, the profession but you, you know it, the, the that word and that history is coming from a different style mm -hmm. of delivery right right yeah and the way we see ourselves generally we do see ourselves as uh, I see myself as an academic you're yeah that's like as a faculty member, we have to come from the academic side, not from the like accredited or certified right. teacher educator side. Like while I do see myself as an educator, and that's kind of the heart of my job, 
like I, I can't get here unless I've gone through a, the, a bunch of stuff which is, has nothing to do <laughs> actually with, with education and pedagogy. Like to get here, I have to go through the academic side of things. Well, you have to become an expert in, yes. in your field, in, in physics or in writing or whatever it is. Mm. Yeah. So it, it is like while we, I, I think in general, have good intentions and are trying to be good educators, like we don't, we don't have generally that background. And, it's, and our jobs are such that it does not lend itself to us spending all our time dealing with that background. Or, or coming up, coming up to even, or certainly to your level of expertise on pedagogy, Drew. You know, whereas uh -huh. you had to get like basically a master's. Yeah, I don't know. Well, I mean, we and it sounds like we can spend two more episodes oh, yeah. on this topic altogether. Okay. Yeah, we like to talk about ourselves. We do. Well, we're academics. So that's <laughs> what we do. <clears throat> okay, number three: strict classroom rules versus lecture hall autonomy. So this is, I'm, I'm assuming this is like class rules, like teacher, teacher gets to pick class rules in high school versus in the lecture hall, a college kid can kind of sit down and do their thing. Is that what it's trying to say? I think so. I don't, when I read this, I was no. thinking about how you can't chew gum in high school sometimes or like, you know, those like kind of really strict rules or you have to get a hall pass to go to the bathroom right. or ask to leave the classroom. Uh, yeah, yeah. This is, we did have a, an episode about this, asking about asking for the restroom and asking for gum and ask for all that stuff. Don't um, ask me for gum. Melody has no gum for you. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, they're, they're right in that the strict rules in terms of consequences for if you get up and walk out in the middle of a class in high school, like, that's, you just don't do that. Uh, most people don't anyway. Uh, but, you know, if one of my students has to use the restroom, like, that's, you know, go up and go. Like, I, you don't need to clear that with me. I, I really, right. I don't want to clear that. I'd yeah, like you to take care of that on your own. I don't want any, any involvement in that process. Right. And I think, you know, and we talked about the topic of our podcast was to talk about why is that a difference? Well, it's because um, majority of K-12 students are minors and we mm -hmm. are in loci parentis. We are like responsible for you wherever you are. And if you're outside of my classroom and I don't have eyeballs on you, I'm still responsible for you. So it's this location tracking because parents have have requested, I think rightfully, like you need to know that my kid is safe. And if I call the office and say, where's Andrew? You need to know where he's at. Right. I mean, there is, I mean, they set this up, and, and certainly for lecture hall, I think it's pretty much like you can, as long it's, as you're not disrupting what's happening. It's hard to police 400 people. Right. Yeah, you can probably get away with just about anything. Like, if it's, like, flagrant, then, yeah, you're probably going to get called out. Yeah. But uh, this article says you're going to be treated like an adult. Well, adults have consequences when they make poor choices, and that happens in a lecture hall, too. If I've disrupted the whole place, I'll be asked to leave. Yeah. Right. So I would just caution, like, yeah, this is, like, generally true, I guess, but yeah. there, are, there are, I'm not to say there are no, no rules in my classroom, right? I mean. It's just a jungle. Yeah. Do what you want. It's numb. So I still respect you to not talk or expect you to not talk while I'm talking, respect your classmates, you know, doing mm -hmm. what you're supposed to be doing. Yeah, I, there's, there are sometimes, I mean, and we tend to be in more classrooms than lecture halls, uh, but there are sometimes rules of conduct within a classroom. For some classes, if you're taking, like, 
business classes mm. or I think for some of our leadership classes there are written in the syllabus there are rules of conduct I have expectation that in my professional writing class yeah. yeah to be professional within right. the professional writing class it's part of the <laughs> you know part of the thing and so I mean read that syllabus which in high school you didn't have to but now you do because that's in there and and if you haven't read the syllabus but it says that if you know you're dressed in a way that is not professional in my class you will get you know a certain you you'll have no particip participation points that day uh, and then you, you don't read it and come to my class and you don't get participation participation points you're like why is that I'm like it's in the syllabus there's no more discussion here like it's, it's not this is not even a thing those are the rules yeah. so there I mean there are sometimes more rules than just don't don't be a dick <laughs> that's always a rule uh, yeah, that's like a good life rule. <laughs> well, I guess, and that indicates like there's there's this kind of uh, scaffolding of, of handholding versus when you start as a kindergartner and everything is done for you by the teacher, and then we slowly let go of the handholding, and by seventh grade it's more on the student to get your homework done and the parent, and then by high school it's supposed to be mostly the student, and then when you turn 18 and go to college it's like, oh, it's you. By the yeah. way, everything's off, chains are unfettered and now it's all you to yeah read that syllabus understand your requirements um, you know the second half of that phrase rights and responsibilities right is the responsibilities part is now all on the individual as a as a age of majority mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. absolutely okay number four. number four attendance mandatory versus attendance optional <laughs> Well, I guess by state mandates, sure. Oh, yeah. Mandatory, I, I, I think I would tweak the word and say attendance compulsory. Okay. And, and I don't know if maybe I'm getting too nitpicky, but yeah, basically it's, it's a, a state, federal, whatever mandate to have kids up through some, some states it's age 16 and some it's 18 um, have to be in attendance and they have police officers and all kinds of different school board um, meetings to say, hey, you're not getting your kid to school, parent, so we're going to fine you and we're going to do this. And um, and this is an agreement that's been made through, you know, society between parents and the school system and the, and the state-funded taxpayer dollars is that you're going to house my kid for, uh, for school and educate them, and I'm going to agree to bring them to school every day. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. And they go and they say some oftentimes you can just decide not to go if you like i can learn this better on my own and i'm not going to go to lecture we're talking in college now in yeah. college yeah in high school again compulsory uh but there are classes where attendance is mandatory i think that's that's what's you know um hopefully delved into in this three paragraphs in the article is yep. <laughs> it's uh <laughs> Is that the, the, the agreement between the, the parents and, the, and the, not the students, but the parents and the state or the parents and the school board is that we're going to provide as teachers a curriculum that is state adopted, uh, that is comprehensive, that is college prep, uh, and I'm going to deliver it in, a, in a, a way because I'm credentialed that is, you know, going to educate your, your child and your half of the agreement is to bring them to class every day. Yes. Well, and yeah, basically, many in many cases, I think you don't you don't have to show up. You don't want to. 
that can have consequences. Again, as adults, you miss yeah. the discussion. You know, they mention something that's due. Like, I don't have to... I mention stuff in class all the time. Some of it is like, hey, by the way, this thing is happening. You know, you should know about this. Or someone asks a question, I respond to it. If you're not there, you don't get any of that information. And I'm not going to go out of my way to, like, then follow up with you because you weren't in my class. Right. Yeah, the hand-holding. <laughs> yeah. And in some classes, like in our first-year writing seminar, you have to show up. Like, you have to go. It is Attendance is mandatory. You get, like, three or four absences. Mm-hmm. And then it starts to eat into your grade. And the more you miss after that, the bigger the chunk it takes out. You know, so, again, read that syllabus. Yeah, and you can choose to do that if you want. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I assume my students are adults, and if they're missing class, they have a reason for it. I'm not going to, like, hound them about it. Like, I'm assuming, like, something heavy's going on in their personal life, or they have a major paper or project that's due that they got to work on, it, and they, they are making the decision to not come to my class because it is a better use of their time to go someplace else, and I'm not going to get on their case about that. Right. Um, whether it is a better use of their time, that will play out when the grades come in. <laughs> you know, I don't. I don't need to hound them for that. There's a natu- nat- natural consequence. Yeah. Okay. Number five: weekly homework assignments versus two to three assignments per semester. Yeah. I, I don't know. I feel like I'm hogging the microphone today, but no, go for it. Like I have. So this to me is. Um, we do have a like a required or mandated um, number of feedback opportunities. I'm going to use a euphemism, but basically progress reports, quarter uh, report card, semester report card, blah blah blah. And this weekly homework assignment or some type of weekly grade is, a, is an opportunity for teachers to give this feedback to the parents. Really, I like the homework is is. A lot of times asked for by, this is a controversial statement, homework is for parents. Teachers not trying to grade any homework, but we do get flack uh, at times from administration, from principals, at times from parents, uh, usually not from students, but it's a feedback opportunity. So we have this, again, we're scaffolding away the, the uh, help that goes to kids. If feedback is ideally going to be a help for students to every week get some feedback. How are you doing? How are you doing? How are you doing? If we're using it correctly. Uh, it doesn't always work that way. But then you graduate up to college and the feedback opportunities are much less frequent where I'm only meeting instead of every day of the week, I'm meeting two or three days a week. I'm meeting I'm, my uh, project assignments are once a quarter, once you know, once a month, that kind of thing. So the the feedback opportunities become less. So therefore, the stakes are higher for this um, course material I'm paying for now. Yeah. I mean, well, and I know that some of my students, like in my classes or my evaluations, will be like, "I wish we had more quizzes so that I knew where I was, like where where I stood in the class." I'm like, "No, I don't give quizzes in writing class." It's, again, it's it's that, and I'm find myself saying this a lot to students this semester is like I rely on you to tell me mm-hmm. you know and, and so in the first year writing seminar for example we have four main projects and we have some other stuff that goes in there but it's basically those four projects yeah, that that's is, like 80 percent of it yeah it's like you biff one of those and that will really tank your grade um, but the students who do really well on them are the students who it gets assigned and then they're like can you read this over and give mm-hmm. me feedback yeah absolutely I can do that 
But they have asked me to give feedback, which is not scheduled in to the class. They are doing the work and they are soliciting feedback as opposed to waiting for feedback, okay. which is a really important thing to kind of and get yourself totally into. that's totally allowed, right? It's Absolutely, yeah. Self-selected feedback loop instead of this external weekly homework assignment that teachers a lot of times feel they have to assign homework even if they don't want to. Right. right. Well, and another difference too, like with two to three assignments per semester or four major projects, we are actively working on those, at least in my classes, or towards that four, four to five, sometimes six weeks. Mm. And so everything we're doing in that time, even if it's not like, oh, I'm taking this up for points or, oh, turn that into, you know, are, are designed specifically to flow into that. So if you're in class <laughs> and paying attention, then a lot of those larger assignments are very heavily scaffolded so that they can get into, so that for 20% of your grade, it's not supposed to be like a, a guessing game. Right, right. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, no, it shouldn't be a surprise what your what your score is. No, yeah. no. Well, and in some of my classes, I have weekly homework assignments. Yeah. Because the practice is, is important to practice. Right. You know, for in physics and astronomy, we have. And then, so here's a real question: as a as a as a educator, professor, teacher, do you do you get feedback on those weekly homework assignments each week? No, I do not. I I try, but I'm behind right now. It's just it was making me. I was just feeling shame right now because it's like I, I have two st I have two weeks worth of homework here that I'm looking at right now. It's like, embarrassing. Oh uh, no, I'm behind, and so they're not getting the feedback as fast as I want them to. So the I mean, and I do it a little differently because I'm thinking about my grammar class, which is a very different type of English class. Um, it's very practice-based, but we go over every problem on their homework in class, and their book textbook has the answers in the back. So I tell them, don't rely on that. You know, you should, you know, use this, and then we use the class time to discuss issues or problems. Like, well, I don't understand how that's an adjective and not an adverb in this case or whatever. I mean, sometimes prepositions are tricky. It's, you don't know. It's fine. Yeah. So, I'm not a grammarian. Right. I'm just saying, so like for, I feel like that even though I don't give them feedback, it's like completion points, they're only helping themselves by doing it because that gives them the practice that they need to do well on the tests. Right, right. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. Okay, I was like, Drew? <laughs> He's over here like, that's not sound pedagogical practice. Right. Oh, I'm by no means any, any master in, in that. There's people far more expert than me on things, but <laughs> so I, I shouldn't pretend to be... Uh, uh, any level of, aside from my years in the classroom, it's not like I'm, you know, double expert or anything. Well, you do have a master's in education, though, right? I do have a master's. Okay. It's true, but right. uh, you know. I have a zero, nothing, and I have nothing in education. So. I have a friend who has a. Does she have a PhD in education? You could get a PhD or an EDD. Right. I think she has a PhD. Anyway. Moving on. <laughs> Number six, year-long courses versus semester-slash-quarter system courses. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yes. Well, I guess you have less time. Because I think about when I was in high school, I'd be like, okay, it's December. Now I can still do really well because I'm still working on the same material in January. And that is just not the case. Right. December hits. That class is done. It's time to start a new one. So you have 
a lot more material to cover in a shorter amount of time, and you have less time to make up missed ground, whether that's in content or in points. That's true. Right. Hence the lecture hall, where it just has to get read to you because you're first year coming in and getting read in on the on, on you know caught up essentially on these. We're, and I don't know. It was told to me a long time ago that a like a year's course of let's say algebra in high school was equivalent to a semester in college as far as content stacked into, in, in my university it was 14 weeks of semester, mm -hmm. would be 36 weeks of high school year-long course. Yeah. That, that that's right. a big yeah. chunk, and yeah. you're not meeting every single day, by the way. Yeah. You're meeting, you know, two three or times. three days a week yeah. and cramming it in. So you're having yeah. to... So the pace is faster. Swallow and, a whole lot more. Yeah. Yeah. I think that catches a lot of my students by surprise because, you know, we have overlapping assignments. So I just gave them feedback on one assignment and they're currently working on another one. They're like, we're expected to do revisions on this while also writing that. And I'm like, yep. yes. Or you could choose not to do revisions. Yeah, also possible. Yeah, I had students stop by. I was like, were revisions due yesterday? I was like, yes. <sighs> it's well, like, I, I cannot help you with that one. Yeah. You know, that, like... I was very clear when I handed them back. I was like... So the pacing is a lot faster, and you are expected as a student to keep up with the material however you need to. Right. So if that's doing extra work on Tuesday and Thursday between your Monday, Wednesday, Friday class, coming in to talk to you, whatever, I'm just... Yeah. yeah, going to the tutoring center or whatever right. it is of your school. Like, are, yeah. I like to say, well, I just can't keep up. And I'm like, well, you're going to have to adjust the pace because the class is not going to adjust to you. Yeah, it, it is a, for me, it was a big step yeah. mm -hmm. coming coming college. It can be a stretch. Agreed. I mean, I always felt like I needed to downshift and never could get there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think everybody reaches that point at some point in their collegiate career, whether that's your very first semester or if it's your senior year or if it's when you're working on your master's or whatever. But we all have that downshift moment where we're like, crap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, yeah. I, think, I guess uh, the one moment where I was really, I felt like I was doing the level of work that I needed to be doing, like I always felt behind the eight ball all the way through, mm. except um, th there was one... I guess a quarter, well, half a semester, where I I quit doing near everything extracurricular and just started because uh, I was sharing a, a project with another student and so I had this uh, accountability to my buddy and um, so I had to I had to be able to perform at a level that was not going to let him down so I mm -hmm. I stopped doing extra stuff and I stopped doing you know. Uh, staying up late and I stopped doing all kinds of things for uh, about six weeks and just spent time in the study hall and the practice room and the you know library and, and wherever for about six weeks and um, that's when I really felt like I was downshifted the right level. Yeah, I think I messed up your metaphor. I was thinking of downshifting as um, like getting ready to ramp up, but you were thinking downshifting in terms of like kind of getting off the accelerator and not going. Getting into a lower gear to climb yeah, the hill. Exactly. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's it is. It is something that I find myself coming right up to, but never quite saying to students and advisees like. Maybe you should just drop all the extracurriculars. Oh, I say it. <laughs> like I, I usually don't say all, but I'm like, but, let's reassess some things. Yeah, it's like, maybe we need to cut out some stuff. Well, I remember one of my professors telling me, like, be, be an expert. Be an expert in something. 
Like, get passionate, be an expert. It doesn't have to be trumpet. It doesn't have to be music. But like, stop being, stop being medium at everything. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. Huh. And number seven, choose your classes versus choose your schedule. I'm confused. <laughs> so in high school, what are they saying? So you choose your classes. Uh, so the schedule is always eight to three or whatever the you know oh, whatever the current right. hours are. This, your schedule is every day one hour, one hour, one hour, one hour. Or I, if your block schedule, it's two hours, two hours, two hours. And there's the but, stuff you have to take. But I don't feel like you had a lot of choice. At least I don't feel like I did. It's like right, you have to school? take four yeah. years of English, you know, three years of math. Yeah. So, two years so they of say you get to pick maybe two or three classes. Okay. Majority is you know, basically yeah. set. Keep in mind that system, that high school system, is also set up really nicely for the top end students who are in AP everything. Yeah. Yeah. where that's not always the case but a lot of times they're able to take an elective because they're not in the remedial double double session of english or whatever mm-hmm. they can use that extra elective for you know band or art or whatever extra not that art's extra but yeah. um well sometimes you know, elective it course. <laughs> yeah right well and the difference in college is that like everything is up for grabs Yes. I mean, there are some things that you should take. Well, like for us, there are... I mean, you have to take into account, right? My first year, usually it's the upperclassmen that schedule first, so I'm kind of left with what they give me schedule-wise. Right. And if my major is is as it is, then in music school, I always had an 8 a.m. Monday class. I couldn't work around that because of my major. So you do get to pick your schedule, but you don't. Right, right. right. There are constraints on it, but... You could choose to not do that, and it will bite you in the ass. Right. Right. Or it could take you longer than the four years that your scholarship allows. Or right. Whatever. Or even once you get past the, I mean, for music is a really constrained major. Physics is less constrained, though my major was more constrained than I think it normally is. Huh. But even so, you get going a little bit in there, and all of a sudden everything blows out in terms of what you can do and what you can pick. You know, you pick a couple major classes. Everything else is now is like you get to pick and so what they point out is that you probably should be spending 30 minutes or an hour well before in the enrollment period planning out your which is probably right now go do your planning (laughs) yes now now is probably the time for planning Uh, Uh, ask yourself some questions you know was nine o'clock really difficult for me to get up and make it to class can I avoid a nine o'clock class in the spring semester? Maybe yes. Or maybe and still no. finish in on time. Right, right, right. Maybe no. Maybe I need to change my sleep habits. Right. Also, am I going to bed at three a.m.? Hmm. Maybe not so great idea. You know. So there is there is a lot of like you actually have to do a lot of work to put together your schedule each semester, uh, and you have to keep in mind if you have like a standard course progression for your major, like when those need to fall. And so you probably need to talk to somebody about like, well, what do I need to be taking, you know, spring semester, sophomore year mm-hmm. to stay on track? Did we cover, I think we I feel like we covered this in, in at least sideways in one of our episodes. I feel like but, we yeah. had to. And I, I had an individual in my uh, undergraduate career who was in charge of all of us who kind of called us in one each uh, one-on-one once a year and said, look, here's your courses, here's what you've taken, here's what you should take. Mm. Are you still planning on majoring in this, that, the other? And and kind of ran that down once a year. Yeah, I mean, so some schools have dedicated academic advisors like that, and some schools 
Have us. Have us. <laughs> <laughs> so my advisees have to talk to me. So I am, but I'm also busy with a bunch of other things. So I. But generally, I, I know when you should be right. Things. Yeah, and and I tell them like when we when you come talk to me on this day, you should have a schedule ready to talk about. But you're right. We have talked about that before. Okay. Number eight: No technology versus note taking on a laptop. Is that true? Are you? I, I call shenanigans. I call, hashtag not true. To fake news. Okay, thank um, you. <laughs> no. I don't know. I don't know when this when this piece was written, but and and who knows? Maybe just different states. They're different, and different high schools have different availability of funding. But um, it's not to say every school is one on one. iPads, mm -hmm. Chromebooks, whatever you you know, Dell laptops, whatever you're. Um, but I think more and more teachers are, there's still holdout teachers who are like, shut it all down, we're gonna do chalk and, and slate. But for the, I mean, in high schools, for the most part, people are understanding, the curriculum is now, like the, the publishers are now saying, are, are pitching their thing to the states, saying we have an online portion, it's a big piece, it's totally usable mm -hmm. by itself without the paper textbook, so you can do one-on-one -on -one uh, implementation online and kids can get this from home on Google Classroom and it's connected through this pro this platform and that platform or they built their own platform for some of the publishers um, right so, like the, the online deal is is not I wouldn't say ubiquitous but getting close and I think it's getting more normal call I mean these are like they don't care take whatever you want and it's like yeah no I mean I, I think this is a little bit more uh, class-specific mm -hmm. that it sounds I, I should, here. Full disclosure, my job is the digital education coordinator for the district, <laughs> so I do just go around pitching technology to every teacher in the district. Right, right. Well, so um, <clears throat> it is class by class and teacher by teacher. I just got a faculty concern notice from one of my advisees, and the faculty had said that they were concerned about this person's cell phone continuously going off in class and reminded her of the policy on the syllabus, which was cell phones need to be turned off and not visible during class, um, and how the her notifications are disrupting class. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's a small class, so I can yeah. see why. So, yeah. But so, I mean, it is. It's very much. and. This kind of goes back, we had talked about note-taking before, mm. but like all of my students have their laptops out, but I don't go around and check to see if they're shoe shopping, which um, they might be. And so if they choose to use their laptops to not focus on what we're learning in class that day, that is also a choice. Yep, and that comes out, again, comes out on the grades. Yeah. yeah. All right, number nine, A for effort versus greater expectations. Oh. No. <laughs> no, no, no. I, you know... I don't know. It's hard to argue. You can pull out. You can always nitpick and find some dude who's, who's yeah. some teacher who's mm -hmm. like A for effort and all my kids deserve to pass and all this. But it, it, I think it becomes less and less frequent at high school level when we all realize like me giving a grade in this class to this student is is really important to the value that a diploma has. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I can't like in eighth grade. Don't tell the middle school teachers, but in eighth grade. If you get that D minus, it doesn't matter. Like, what is the harm? They're going to move forward. They're going to keep going, but it doesn't impact them the way losing five credits because you got a D minus in a in a pass no pass kind of algebra gateway class. Mm -hmm. If you got a D minus and have to take it over again, you, you know you're starting to impact like NCAA eligibility for sports. Mm -hmm. uh, like, there, there's real life impacts for somebody failing. Uh, to get their diploma on time in high school. 
So this yeah. A for effort is garbage. I, I and <laughs> I, I guess I can see what they're trying to say, but. But at the level that that A for effort shows up in in high schools, you can also find that showing up in you can. colleges yeah. as well. Well, I guess my I wasn't really thinking that this was true necessarily. Like, oh, your high school teachers must just be giving you credit for effort. But students really love to come and tell me how much time and energy they put into something. And I have to say, effort doesn't equal skill, and they don't love that because sometimes you can try really hard and still not get it. Yeah, okay. um, and that sucks. I mean, I, I get I, now reading these two paragraphs in this number nine on this article is um, is or reading it more closely is saying that I guess in high school and courses we're and we have year long so we're, we do try to build in a lot of cushion for oh, somebody yeah. to say like hey you didn't get this skill and you scored badly on this quiz let's let's retake let's uh, study and come back to it and there's not always that opportunity for for. Um, failure and regrowth in, in a quick one semester long, you know, 14 weeks course at college. True. True. Okay. Last one. Last one. Number 10, learning by listening versus learning by reading. I actually run into this. Learning by listening I was mentioning Lectio. Yeah. I, I, I run into this or I have run into this. I think I have more of a reputation now here than when I first started teaching way, way back in the day. It's like, we, you know, I, I remember getting anonymous feedback back when I did that about like, we expect you to like, tell us what we need to know. And I'm being yeah. like, no, nah, that is not the way this is, this works, you know? And I, I expect my students to have read before they come so that we can talk about what doesn't make sense, what's confusing, what's interesting, you know, spend our time wisely. If you're gonna have to read it anyway, read it before you show up, I'm not, I'm not going to read the book to you. Why would I make you pay for the book if I was going to do that? I'm wasting your time and your money if I do that. Really kind of, yeah. it is a bee in my bonnet when students are all, uh, when, when I get the impression the students are just waiting for me to tell them what was in the book. And just anecdotally, it feels like to me, my students are reading less and less. Even small reading assignments, like we're, re we're using an open source textbook for first year writing seminar, and the chapters are like seriously four or five pages. Yeah, they're short. Very short. And entertaining. I think so. They clearly do not. Because they'd be like, oh, yeah, I just couldn't finish it. And I'm like, you couldn't finish it? Get out of my class. Yeah. And so, uh, first, don't say that. Never say that. I mean, I dropped my laptop and exploded into 50 pieces is better than it got boring. <laughs> But, yeah, I don't know. I worry that students are not learning by reading. And, oh, well, I don't have to read because we're just going to talk about it in class and I can pick up what I need to know to pass the test mm -hmm. or write the paper. Good luck with that in my class. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, you know, and we, I guess that part of the challenge hearing this is, like, we're asked to serve in, high, in K-12 um, in high school. We're asked to serve everybody in the community. And... Um, you know, accommodate and um, because it's because you know, it's compulsory. It really accessible mm -hmm. to everybody. So yeah, we like there was a moment in time, uh, several years ago, when we we were you know all but asked like, hey, don't send 700 pages of reading homework home because it's not equitable to everybody in the room that they would have that facility to go home and read for an hour. Um, and so, you know, it's a like, like we said, a different population of service for 
college where, you know, I guess now in the United States it's more and more and more um, high school grads are going to college, and it used to be a smaller proportion where you could say, look, these are the cream, these are the top achievers in high school, and now we should be asking them to read, um, you know, on their own, independently, whatever. Um, so I'm not saying don't do that, but I can I can see the conflict here. This this yeah. one is. I can see that. Um, yeah. Well, so we get those first semester, first year college students who maybe aren't being assigned a lot, and now they're being assigned quite a bit of reading in all of their classes. So I can see how it can be overwhelming. But right. um, yeah, yeah, that's it, all it I just, can say. It just needs it just yeah, it needs to get done. Like it. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's just. It, it may if you're if you're here, like not that I won't help a student or if they need a quiet place to read or something like that, you know. But we're not going to use class time to read. I need to use that class time to talk about the complexities of the reading. Professor. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah, but, I, think, I think you're right. Like this is the main, like one of the main conflicts of why we started this podcast was the conversation about like why is this so challenging for kids to come in and say. I'm going to read two hours for this course because I expect to get an A, and but expecting to get an A in high school did not equate to putting in two hours of reading. It equated to, you know, some other method for making sure my grade was maintained. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot more time. Fast pacing. Way more material. Way more individual work on your own time. Yep. And I think the, the positive, the, the silver lining to this, to me, this looks really uh, as a challenge, but at the same time, the silver lining is you're in charge. As a student, you roll in. This is difficult. It's challenging. It's tough. It is. But you're in charge of your, you can grab your future by the horns, read, uh, learn how to be an expert two-hour-a-day reader, you know, two hours a, per class per day reader, and, and kill it and, and uh, you know, win college. Yeah, it's true. There's a reason why you can mark full-time college student like as an occupation. Yeah, seriously. I mean, it's basically a full-time job and then some. Like yeah, it is not yeah, uncommon for a lot of my students to put in 12-hour days going to class, doing their homework. Now that might include a little nap and an episode on something on Netflix, but in general, you have to put in a lot of time. And so that's just something that I think most of them are like, "Oh." Oh. <laughs> I gotta go. Yes, Melody has to go. So, I got thank things. you, Melody. Oh. Bye. Bye. All right, bye. So, listeners, if there's anything you would like us to talk about, you can reach me on Twitter. I'm at Dr. Hyland, D O C T O R H Y L E N D, or send me something uh, something longer, Peter O Hyland H Y L E N D at gmail.com. All right. See everyone next week. All right, next week. Bye-bye. Bye.